Well, good morning. Welcome to Axis Church. We're so glad you're here. On an average Sunday when Axis is meeting, across our three services, we have about 500 people gather. On high tide, that is, up to 500 people. Uh, while we've been online, our church has grown and there's been some weeks where we're almost doubling that number. I say this for two reasons. It means it justifies uh, us continuing this online service to you. We want to continue to bring church into your homes, even beyond this current lockdown. It also means that there's many new people connecting with us at this time. If that's you, we welcome you again today. If you're new, not only to Axis, but to this thing called church, I want to alert you to the fact that today's topic potentially could be offensive, particularly if you're not used to hearing topics such as this. We're going to talk about today the value of life. This week I listened to an interview by a guy named Tim Keller. He speaks out of a New York context. He's been a church leader there for many, many years. And he says there's four issues facing churches in this day and age that are really relevant for churches to get clear and make a stand on. Tim says, seeking justice, racial equality, biblical sexuality, and a pro-life stance. Let me say those again. Justice, equality, sexuality, and pro-life. Now, Tim reckoned for a church to be faithful to God and the scriptures, they need to reckon with all four of these. Interesting to me that society loves two of these and despises the other two. You probably don't have to be very intelligent to guess which is which. Seek justice? Woohoo! Absolutely. The culture loves that aspect that the church brings. Racial equality? Again, celebrated in this time and age on the whole. The other two, however, biblical sexuality? Nah, we don't want the Bible's views on that. And pro-life? Definitely not. Tim's argument, to which I agree, is all four of these actually are cut from the same biblical cloth, so we can't be selective. Some biblical values then marry well with the culture. In Australia, in 2020, they just do, like this equality value. It's thoroughly biblical. If we assume an evolutionary perspective as a starting point of life, I would never, never, ever arrive at a place where I should value you and you should value me because we're just time plus chance plus matter. Our life is an accident. I heard another interview recently of a leading Australian journalist where he was actually entertaining the idea of becoming an atheist. He was dating a girl at the time who held that worldview and she was trying to convince him of atheism. And he was moving, shifting towards that view, being a critical thinker that he was. He was on this long ride home on public transport one night on the train and the train made this kind of momentary stop for 10 minutes and he sat there and he looked out the window of this train and he saw people sitting on a park bench. And the thought occurred to him, if I'm to embrace atheism, the people sitting on that bench have no more value than the bench itself. He couldn't do it. He said not only was it illogical to him, it was plain depressing. See, if you, are, you and I are just animals, a result of time plus chance plus, plus matter, we, we don't matter. We don't have value. We need 
a biblical perspective of the image of God in order to, to conjure up this, this value of equality that we now hold dear. Well, that's one that's popular in society right now. What do we do with these ones that are unpopular, that are a bit prickly, that have uh, ability to offend? What are we going to do with those? Well, some churches just decide not to go there. That's the safe thing to do. Just don't go there so as to not offend. And I kind of like that idea. So why don't we just close in prayer right now? Oh, we can't do that, can we? We don't get to decide. We don't get to make that call. God's truth is still God's truth, whether it is convenient or popular or not. I don't get to pick and choose. The Bible reads me as much as I read it. So today, if you wind up offended, I truly hope it won't be our method. If our message offends, that's unfortunate. But I really and truly hope it won't be our method, our clumsy delivery of what we think as biblical truth. Know this, God's kindness is the thing that leads us towards change. Uh, not his condemnation. Axis Church is a non-condemnation culture. This is our posture. So as we engage in this discussion today, please know that what could be wildly upsetting is the very fact that we come from wildly different starting points. See, a person who's a follower of Jesus actually has God's word as the, the foundation of their worldview. We sung it in our first song today. I see the world your way. That is God's way. That is a transformed view of the world with the authority of the Bible in view. So in fact, becoming a Jesus follower starts with that premise that I'm not qualified to play God and I absolutely need his wisdom and direction to live life well. So as we approach this topic today of the sanctity of life. We take our questions to the scriptures and I have two simple questions. When does life start having value? When does life stop having value? And Psalm 139 can help us with this discovery. When does life start having significance? And how do we sustain that level of value and meaning and purpose? Now, Psalms in the scriptures are sacred songs. That's what they are. So Psalm 139 is simply a song written by a guy named David, believed to be around the time he became king, actually, of Israel. It was a rise from nowhere. He was a shepherd boy in a, in a field and God rose him up into this prominent place to be king of the nation. No wonder he's singing, hey? He's blown away at the goodness of God and how his life has been blessed. So let's read together Psalm 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. Little side comment here. The lockdown period has made that part of being God a little easier. Verse 4, you know what I'm going to say even before I say it. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
too great for me to understand. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride on the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word today. Let's jump right in with the first part of our question. When did David's life start having value? When did his life start having value? Now, some of you might say, pick me, John. I know I can see it's obvious. You mentioned in the intro when he became king when he was promoted into that prominent place, that triggered his life to have a big purpose. It's clear, it's obvious. When he became national ruler, life has notoriety then. Unknown shepherd boy to famed king of Israel. Of course, David had value. Well, if the scholars are right, and Psalm 139 was written around the time of this appointment, no doubt he's feeling good about life. He's feeling on top of the world. He's dancing from the mountaintops for good reason. Sure, David's um, life did have value. And uh, we could say, well, it's the same with any world leader. Their existence matters, you know, a CEO, a manager even. Once you've climbed up the ladder, yeah, your life has importance and meaning and significance. We all comprehend that. That's how society attributes value. After performing some worthy action, their life gets valued. They do something noteworthy, something unusual, something above average. But don't miss David's testimony to us today. His song doesn't go there. It's not in the bridge. It's not in the chorus. It's not in any of the verses. He sings a completely different melody. He never sees his self-acceptance discovery come via achievement. Well, where do we go from here? How else can we explain him feeling so incredibly confident? Because he is, quite obviously he is. There's another factor we could raise. If it wasn't because he did something great, it must be that he looked great while he was trying. If, it, if it's not his performance where he gains his value from, then there's one other alternative. He must be charming. So if he didn't have that value before kingship, before climbing the ladder, before the promotion, pre-authority, if he had this level of self-confidence, there's one other alternative. He must have been a hunk of a guy. He must have been 10 out of 10. He must have been a super attractive guy that made all the girls squeal each time he walked by. That'd be my vote, Jono, some would say. 
if he had value and it wasn't his occupation that gave it, it must be his appearance. He must have been a super duper specimen. Can we know that about David? Well, actually we can. The first time he's introduced into the biblical narrative, it says this, he was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. It's rather descriptive. Uh, Three glowing compliments that I would suggest makes David not hard to look at. He was probably a very handsome guy and he knew it. Look at verse 14 where he says, Thank you, God, for making me so wonderfully complex. Read, well put together, because the next sentence confirms that's what he means. Your workmanship, God, is marvellous. How well I know it. Some versions will say of verse 14, Psalm 139, 14, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My soul knows this full well. Seemingly, David looks in the mirror and does a bit of a wolf whistle, you know, kind of straightens himself up and is very happy with what he sees. He has this rare level of satisfaction about his appearance that some of us lack. So is that how we kind of explain David's confidence? I mean, he's just a chick magnet. I mean, no wonder, no wonder he feels good about life. We've solved the mystery of where he derived his value. He didn't need a promotion. He had extraordinary looks. Is that it? He's around 30 at this point of writing. So physically, he's probably in very good shape. Everybody loves him. He feels good about life. But still, we're not in tune with David's song. If we've gone 30 years into his story to try and discover where this value comes from, we've actually gone way too far. Like kind of... 31 years too far. How's that possible? Well, it was not David's political achievements whereby he held his head high. It was not his physical appearance that had him chest pumping. It was something altogether different, altogether simpler than that. And it's really, really, really good news for everyone today. David saw his conception The moment his life was triggered, way back there when he was just a little speck in his mother's womb, that was the place where God began to fashion his life and give him value. There's five verbs that describe this in verse 13 to 16. God made me. God knit me together. God watched over me. God wove me. God saw me. All these verbs happen pre-birth in David's life. All of those things put together triggered his value. It's true there's some earthly parents that don't plan a pregnancy, but for David, he was super clear about the intention of his heavenly father. His existence was a master design. I said a moment ago, this is good news. Why? Because Christianity is the only identity that's received, not achieved. Christianity is the only identity that is received and not achieved. Perhaps you've worked that out. Perhaps you are working that out. David, I would suggest, had it sorted. 
That's why his spirits are so high, why he's so full of gratitude, why he can be so affirming about his personal being. From the gecko, from day dot, he received his identity. The only way anyone ever can, as a God-given gift. David knew it wasn't his position that created it. It wasn't his appearance that created this, this, this identity and worth. They were established the second God sparked the magic of life in his mother's womb. That's when God saw way back then a person of value. This covers our entry point to life. What about our exit? When will life start having value? We've said from conception. When does life in the eyes of God stop having value? Part B of our question. Let me answer with a story. I have a Labrador that was rescued from the animal shelter some four years ago. Beautiful dog. Still is. He was uh, just nine months old at the time when we rescued him. And apparently the dog shelter told us that it is common for dogs to get surrendered at that age at nine months old. And they went on to explain why. See, they've kind of moved out of the puppy stage and they begin looking like a big dog. They've lost some of their cuteness. The novelty wears off in their owner's eyes and many, many dogs get surrendered around that age. That's fairly sad. Nine months is an interesting number given babies spend that time in the womb. So let's ask the presenting question. Is God in love with the unborn for that nine-month period? Kind of like a doting heavenly father presiding over their early formation. And then you get to the entry point of life and he's kind of like, oh, well, my job's done. Like we've moved the, the conversation from sustainability to God's involvement. Yes, God was involved in the formation of David pre-birth, but does God's interest wear off? Does it wane over time? Does God's extreme interest in human life have an expiry date? You know, like ours does with puppies. Is God kind of on the production line of, of birth where he's like, yep, now that I've seen that one, I'm done with it. I've seen that one. Next, next, next. Is that kind of God's methodology? Not at all. David affirms God is like an attentive parent whose concentration never wanes. Not for a second. It's profound. God takes note of every aspect of David's life, he says. If God weren't so kind, may I say, the words here would kind of be creepy in verse 2. David's kind of like, God never lets me out of his sight. Clark commentates on this verse by saying, even these inconsiderable and casual things are under thy continual notice. I cannot so much as take a seat or leave it without being marked by thee. This heavenly father's care is remarkable then. It's tender and it's long lasting. David's now a full grown adult. He's no longer a child. He's not a dependent. And yet his heavenly father has not left him, not for a moment. David realises God is heavily invested 
in his everyday movements. God's fondness of David is a lifelong affair. It'll never end. It'll never fade. Knowing this sets off this immense confidence in David because he realises if I did nothing to trigger my value before God, I can do nothing to terminate it either. My value doesn't have an expiry date in the mind of God. My value endures because God's love for me endures for the entirety of life. David sees the Almighty keeping a diary of his daily life. And David says this is kind of like being pre-recorded. And it's why he can look back at his life with, with great dignity. And it's why he can look forward into his future with such great confidence someone rightly pushing back at this point in time will go but didn't you say david was 30 at the time of writing or thereabouts yeah probably so the older person listening right now is going to go well that's hardly fair because you know at 60 70 80 life feels different i mean yeah we do kind of lose our way in those later years Let me address this real briefly. There's a stinky cultural term that starts with R and has 10 letters. And it's popular nowadays, but it has no place in God's family. Our culture now trumps this as a desirable stage of life. But the Bible actually knows nothing of it. It's this word retirement. Retirement. Now I'm nowhere near that golden age where that's a consideration for me. I only hope that when I do reach that age, I'm still going hard, green and growing, filled with as much meaning, purpose and sense of calling as ever. Because here's the model I see in David. I don't think he's upbeat because he's 30. I think he's upbeat because he's enlightened that life is a gift, period. It won't lose meaning when he hands the crown over to the next generation, because here's why. The crown never established his value, so the crown won't extinguish his value. His value was set in stone before God when his life began, and it will continue on until his final breath. In David's view, every single day of his life was lived out under the careful watch of the Almighty. So I reckon if you pressed him and said, well, you know how you're feeling all jazzed up about life right now, David. When when do you see you're kind of coming off that? When when do you see life kind of fading for you? I I think he might say, I can't see it. I can't imagine living a meaningless day under the care of my heavenly father. I, I just can't imagine it. It's not in my view at all. Just a week or so back, my previous church lost one of its finest members. She was 98 years old. I cherished every moment in her presence. She was on fire for God. Her life was just a constant testimony of God's goodness. Not an easy life, far from it. But she just glowed in the grace of God. She was so on fire. She was full of the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God. It was a pleasure to spend time with her. She's only in our church a few years, actually. She came there as an older person, 95. On her second day, and don't miss that detail, her second day, 
in the building before church started. So she'd been at church at that point in time just once. 95 years old, but so in tune with God. On a second day, so somebody come to me before church started and said she would like to see me. So I went over to her and she said, I feel like the Lord's prompted me to give a donation to the church. I said, okay. And she named the amount. And there's a backstory here, which I don't have time to go into, but the backstory is the previous day, Saturday, the day before that, we just had a meeting at a new facility and it was going to cost the church a significant amount of money to make that shift into that facility. And the amount this, this person raised, 95 years old at the time, talk about here from God. The, the, the amount she said to me that she's feeling God's prompting her to give was the exact amount that was posed the day before as the figure the church needs to move over into this new space. I spoke last week about being a fruitful branch. She remained that until her last day on earth. Green and growing at 95 years old when she walked through the door of our church. You say, Jonah, that's not exactly fair. What about quality of life? What about someone that's, yeah, not 95, they might only be 75, but they've got a terminal illness. Can't we just agree to let them alleviate their suffering and can't they exit on their terms? Friends, I don't have easy answers for you here. Part of my role as a church minister is I get to see the very end of people's lives. It's super challenging to be in that space. Sometimes you see a person and it just looks like there's only a shell left. And the family press in at times like that and say, why hasn't God taken them? Why is he letting them exist looking like this? Why is God allowing them to continue in this state? I don't know. I don't have an answer that covers the pain and the breadth of that question. Sometimes preachers feel a pressure to land everything in this neat and tidy spot. I, I can't. Just a few weeks ago, I watched my own father pass into eternity over a screen. And his final day, can I say, was not easy to watch as his body shut down. I hated being there. I don't have all the answers. I only know this. Life is a gift. Life is a gift. Not every single day will be easy, but every single day is a gift nonetheless. And on the other side of this life, for those whose faith is in Christ, the promise is everything gets made new. They get a new body. They live pain-free. No more suffering, no more tears. In the meantime, we deal with a messy middle, with a heavenly father going with us every moment of the day, journaling each day in his diary, the activities of our life. How profound is his care? How amazing is his interest? How deep? is his love. Today, if you're young, 
Don't let the enemy steal this moment in your life. You know, don't let him say that, well, your life will amount to something after you climb a ladder. Uh-uh, that's a lie. Your life will mean something when you tidy up your appearance, when you become a little more popular. No, no, no. You already have value in the eyes of God. For others who aren't so young anymore, don't let the enemy steal your joy. Sure, your body doesn't work the way it used to, but your creator gave you this day to live. So live it well. Live it fully. Don't waste a minute questioning your existence. Your heavenly father has his eye on you today. We're going to hear from Dave bringing us a musical item in just a moment. It's David from Axis in this case, so it won't be Psalm 139, but it'll be good. It'll be good. It's a beautiful song called Still. And then we're going to enter a segment where we consider the sanctity of life. And we've learned in previous years in doing this that it could be a sensitive conversation for some. Some parents will regard this as an adult conversation. If that's you, that's your call, it's your perspective, that's fine. It's a good time to make that transition and perhaps get the kids ready for a slam jam, which will happen in 10 minutes time. For others hearing about sanctity of life for the first time, please know that we worship a God who restores, a God who forgives, a God whose mercy is new every morning. So can I say in advance, he wants to reach out and heal your hurts today and walk with you through life's journey. Father God, we thank you that you are not just a God who knows everything. You know me. You are not just a God that's everywhere. You go everywhere with me. You are not just a God who created everything you created me so as we hear this song still let our hearts go deep with you and 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 feel your embrace and feel you putting your value onto us this day we thank you in jesus name amen